listening to the Good News in the Dark World podcast. Join us as we study God's Word and discover Jesus on every page. Here's Pastor Kevin. Hopefully we never grow tired of uh, the message of the Christmas season and the joy that we know that uh, God sent Jesus into this world and the purpose for which he sent him. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. She was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. As most of you know, there are um, certain situations in life when things seem utterly hopeless. I read a story about Abraham Lincoln this past week. Uh, A few things about him I did not know. That that early in his life, uh, Lincoln was a miserable failure in business. Shortly after his failed business attempt, he had a nervous breakdown. After he eventually recovered from that nervous breakdown, Lincoln thought that it would be a good idea for him to go into politics. Well, that didn't go very well either. Abraham Lincoln was defeated not in one election, not in two elections. Lincoln lost eight consecutive elections. And you look at somebody like that and and you would think, looks pretty hopeless. Would, Would Abraham Lincoln ever amount to anything? Failure at business loses eight political elections in a row. And, and of course, you could think of other examples of of situations in life where things seem totally hopeless. There is no greater example of a hopeless situation than the plight of fallen humanity. After Adam and Eve uh, plunged the entire human race into sin, all seemed to be lost. You remember that God was very explicit in in warning Adam and commanding Adam in Genesis chapter 2. He said to Adam, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you will surely die. Adam and Eve did what God told them not to do. And at that point, if you're reading along in Genesis chapter 3, everything seems to be lost. 
There appears to be no hope. But then God makes this wonderful promise in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. God said to the serpent, you remember these words, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Children, we know this as the first promise of the gospel. The first promise of good news that God was going to send a deliverer. He was going to send one who would save his people from the guilt and from the penalty of their sin. And ever since that time in Genesis chapter 3, for hundreds and hundreds of years, God's people waited for this deliverer to come. Abraham, Moses, Deborah, Ruth, David, Isaiah, Esther, and on and on we could go. All of God's people waited. All of God's people anticipated. When will God fulfill Genesis 3? That anticipation is pictured for us in one of the hymns that we sing at this time of year. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. As we come this morning to Luke 1, that moment is almost here. That moment that God's people have been waiting for for hundreds and hundreds of years is about to occur. It's about to be fulfilled. And an angel is about to deliver this incredible news to Mary. And we need to understand, living a couple of thousand years after Mary, this isn't just good news for her. This isn't just incredible news for Mary. This is incredible news for all of us this morning. We're going to look at this passage today in two parts. Very simply, first of all, there is the angel's announcement, and then there is Mary's question. The angel's announcement and Mary's question. Notice how the passage begins in verse 26. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Children, the the sixth month refers to the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Remember, Elizabeth is is pregnant at this point with John the Baptist, who will be the forerunner, the herald of the Messiah. And so when Elizabeth is is six months along in her pregnancy, the angel Gabriel comes to Nazareth to a young girl whose name is Mary. We know a couple of things about Mary, actually three things. First of all, we know that she's engaged to a man named Joseph. Secondly, we know that she's a virgin. And third, we know that she is from Nazareth. A couple of interesting things. First of all, Mary is probably about 12 years old at this point. Probably 12 or or 13 years old. And and second, she lives in a town that that is basically a nothing town. In, In other words, all of this that's happening in our passage is highly unexpected. It's highly unexpected that that, that God would send an angel to speak to a young girl who might not even be a teenager yet. And it's also highly unexpected that God would send an angel to Nazareth. Jerusalem, yes. Bethlehem, perhaps. Nazareth? Remember what they used to say about Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? But as we see throughout the Bible, God often acts in ways that we don't expect. And one of the reasons God does this is so that we would say something like this can only come from God. 
so that God would receive all the glory. And so Gabriel comes to Mary with the greatest birth announcement ever known to man. He says to her in verse 28, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Interesting what the angel calls Mary, O favored one. Roman Catholics say that God favored Mary, that he sent Gabriel to Mary, that God chose Mary to be the mother of Jesus because Mary was so righteous. In fact, Rome even goes so far as to say that Mary was without sin. And because of this, she was worthy. She was a a worthy recipient of this announcement. She was worthy to be the mother of the Messiah. Now, we have to understand that that's not what the Bible teaches. In fact, we're going to look at Mary's song next Sunday morning, and we're going to see that she rejoices in the fact that God was sending the Savior because she knew that she too needed a Savior. Mary was just like us. She was a sinner who needed a Savior. So so why does it call Mary a favored one? Well, there are times when the original language can be especially helpful, and that's, that's certainly the case here. If you, if you look at that phrase, favored one, it, it is in what we call the, the passive voice. Now, now, you didn't come to church today for a grammar lesson. At least I hope you didn't. But, but this is where grammar can be very helpful. The passive voice means that someone else is acting. I'll give you just a simple illustration. The illustration may break down at some point, but but this will help you understand what it means to be passive. A few weeks ago, I I went in and got my annual flu shot. Now, you know that when you get a flu shot or whatever shot you get, that, that you're passive in receiving that flu shot. I didn't go in and grab the needle and give myself the shot. I went in and sat in the chair and rolled up my sleeve and I received the shot. I was a passive recipient of that flu shot. When when the angel says, oh, favored one, to Mary, it is in the passive voice. Mary is passive in this. The point is that, that God is not blessing Mary because she's so righteous. It's not that God is is blessing her because she's been active in in earning God's favor. She is the passive recipient of God's grace. God was going to bless Mary. He was going to bestow upon her the privilege of being the mother of Jesus, not because she was worthy, not because she had earned it, but because of God's undeserved favor favor. Martin Luther paraphrases this passage like this. He says, O Mary, you are blessed. You have a gracious God. No woman has ever lived on earth to whom God has shown such grace. Now, while we may not play the same role that Mary played in redemptive history, all of us All of us, if we are Christians, can say the same thing about what God has done for us. We are recipients of God's grace. We haven't been active in earning it. We don't deserve it. We haven't worked for it. 
All that we have in Christ is a gift of God's grace. Well, Mary hears this from Gabriel, and and notice verse 29. It says, But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Why, Why is this angel talking to me? Why is this angel calling me a a favored one? And I'm sure if this had been us, we would have wondered the same thing. You can imagine Mary thinking to herself, you know, I'm, I'm barely a teenager, if she's even a teenager at this point. I I live in this backwoods, nothing town, and God is sending an angel to me? And Gabriel is about to give her an announcement that is going to knock her socks off. Look at verse 30. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. You imagine what it would have been like to hear that announcement? You imagine what would have been running through Mary's head at this point? For hundreds of years, God's people have been waiting. And that moment is here. God had chosen her out of sheer grace to give birth to the Messiah. And I love this announcement because in this announcement, the angel brings out three things about the Messiah. Three things about this child who is to be born to Mary. First of all, he is the Savior. Gabriel says, you shall call his name Jesus. Children, do you know what the name Jesus means? You may not know what your name means, and and your name might not have any significance to it. In other words, maybe your parents named you that way because they like the name. The name Jesus has great significance to it. It means God saves This is similar to what we read in the first chapter of Matthew where an angel comes to Joseph and and the angel says to Joseph, Mary will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. We don't want to lose sight of the fact that every year at this time we celebrate the fact that God sent Jesus into this world to save us from our sins. You know, the world and and the media, the media tells us that there's all kinds of answers to the question of what is mankind's greatest problem. The the media will answer the question, what what is our greatest problem by saying various things? They will say, well, it's a lack of education. If people were more educated, they they wouldn't do this kind of stuff. Or it's a lack of money. If If the government would just throw more money at people, things would be better. Or disease, or politicians, or the the refusal to embrace all lifestyles. That's our greatest problem. But the Word of God is very clear what our greatest problem is. It is none of those things. Our greatest problem is our sin. 
and it is the judgment we deserve because of our sin. But the good news that we celebrate at the Advent season is that God sent Jesus into the world to deal with our greatest problem. He sent Jesus to take all of our sin upon himself on the cross so that the penalty of our sin would be paid in full and so that we would be forgiven. This announcement reminds us that Jesus is the one and only Savior. No one else will save you. Only Jesus can save. Second, the announcement also reminds us that Jesus is the divine Son of God. Gabriel says he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. This is just another way of of saying that Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. And, you know, for, our, for the sake of our eternal salvation, the Messiah must be both truly human and truly divine. If he's, if he's not truly human, he can't serve as our substitute. Man sinned, and so man must pay for man's sin. And if he's not truly divine, he cannot bear the weight of God's anger against our sin. Aren't you thankful that Jesus is both? true man, and true God. Aren't you thankful that you sit in this room this morning with the knowledge that Jesus is the perfectly qualified Savior to deliver you from your sins and to deliver you from the judgment that you deserve? As we celebrate the Lord's Supper together this morning, there is a joy that that ought to flood our hearts knowing what Christ has done. The joy that floods our hearts, knowing that his work is finished. I don't have to wonder if if there's something else that I need to do. I I don't have to to wonder if there's something that, that I need to add to that work. It is finished. His work is perfect. His work is complete. Christian, he has fully accomplished the salvation of all who believe in him. And so the announcement tells us Jesus is the Savior, Jesus is the divine Son of God, and third, Jesus is the reigning King. Gabriel says in verse 32, the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. You might remember when we went through 2 Samuel on Sunday nights about, I don't know, a year ago, that God gave a promise to David. It's, it's known as the Davidic covenant. It's found in 2 Samuel 7. And, and God said to David in 2 Samuel 7, I will establish the throne of his kingdom, your, your offspring's kingdom, forever. And, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Davidic kingdom or Davidic covenant. Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. He is an eternal king. He is the king over all. He'll never be voted out of office. He'll never be removed from his throne He will reign as king forever and ever. And now it's our privilege to make his kingdom known. To declare to this world that Jesus Christ 
The divine Son of God is the only Savior, and he is the reigning king. We, we ought to love this section of Luke 1 because it's, it's such a great reminder of who Jesus is. It's a great reminder of why he came. Gabriel doesn't say to Mary, this, this child to be born to you will be a great champion for social justice. Gabriel doesn't say, you know, this child that's going to be born to you, he's going to be a political revolutionary. He's going to overthrow the Romans. He's going to set up an earthly kingdom forever. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is much greater and much more significant than that. He is the Savior. He is God. He is the King. And the question that comes to us this morning is, do you trust him as your Savior? Do you worship him as almighty God? Do you submit to his rule and his reign over your life? Well, Mary hears this and and she's puzzled, and that brings us to her question. She hears that she's going to give birth to the Messiah, and, and she asks in verse 34, how will this be? Since I am a virgin. In other words, how can, I, how can I possibly be pregnant with a child when I've never been intimate with a man before? Now, I think that Mary had probably been given the birds and the bees talk by her parents. Mary knew how things worked, but she's puzzled. Yet, Gabriel, how is this going to work? And Gabriel responds in verse 35, he says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Do you you see the echo of creation? Do you see the echo of Genesis 1? Just as the Holy Spirit overshadowed or hovered over the waters at creation, so he will overshadow Mary. Talk about the virgin birth, right? We we confess every Sunday night in the Apostles' Creed that Jesus was born of the virgin, Mary. Now, a lot of people today think that the virgin birth of Christ is just some some fairy tale that Christians make up. Even some so-called Christian denominations have denounced the virgin birth as not being true. It's a myth. The, the, The largest Presbyterian denomination in this country, the PCUSA, has allowed pastors and elders to serve in their churches who reject fundamental doctrines like the virgin birth or the resurrection of Jesus. And maybe you've known people before who who mocked the virgin birth, who have said, why would you believe such a thing? How stupid can you be to believe the virgin birth? It's impossible. But why would we doubt it? Why why would we not believe what God's word says? Do we really think that the virgin birth is impossible for God? Do we really think that the, the God who spoke into existence all things out of nothing Do we really think that the God who rules over and directs all things to their appointed ends, do we really think that God couldn't do this? And to remind Mary of God's great power, 
Gabriel says to Mary, don't forget about your relative, Elizabeth. Don't forget about what God did for her. She was barren. She's old. But God has brought life to her dead womb. And then Gabriel says, verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. Brothers and sisters, it is so important. I know this is a very simple verse, but sometimes the beauty is in the simplicity of Scripture. The beauty is in the simplicity of the message. For nothing will be impossible with God. I love what J.C. Ryle says about how practical this truth is. Ryle writes this. He says, There is no sin too black and too too bad to be pardoned. The blood of Christ cleanses from all sin. There is no heart too hard and wicked to be changed. The heart of stone can be made a heart of flesh. There is no work too hard for a believer to do. We may do all things through Christ who strengthens us. There is no trial too hard to be borne. The grace of God is sufficient for us. There is no promise too great to be fulfilled. Christ's words never pass away. There is no difficulty too great for a believer to overcome. When God is for us, who shall be against us? Don't you love that? Ryle takes that verse, that statement, nothing will be impossible with God, and he reminds us that there is no sin too black that cannot be pardoned. There is no trial too difficult that you cannot withstand it. God is all-powerful. And then Ryle adds this. He says, faith never rests so calmly and so peacefully is when it lays its head on the pillow of God's omnipotence. What a beautiful thing it is to rest our heads on the pillow of God's omnipotence. What a beautiful thing it is as you go through the difficulties and the trials of life to know that you can rest your head on the pillow of God's almighty power. Nothing is too difficult with him. Mary hears this and she responds in verse 38. And she says very simply, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I love that there's no, there's no hesitation on Mary's part. She she doesn't say, but Lord, what about this? What what about that? She doesn't say, Lord, uh, I'm going to need another sign from you. She says, I belong to the Lord. I trust him. Let it be to me as you have said. You know, we Protestants have a tendency to overreact to the unbiblical view that Rome has of Mary. She wasn't sinless. She was a sinner just like us. She needed a Savior just like I need a Savior. 
But we have a tendency to, to overreact and, and to swing to the far end of the spectrum and, and really have no respect for the godly woman that this was. We fail often to really appreciate Mary's significance in redemptive history. This is a young girl. She's, she's like 12 or 13 years old. But she trusts the Lord. Even, even when everything she has just heard seems impossible, she trusts the Lord. Brothers and sisters, we, we would do well, wouldn't we, to emulate her example? We would do well to say, Lord, my life is in your hands. You are my Savior. You are my God and my King. Lord, I trust you. I just want to do your will, whatever that will might be. That was Mary. By God's grace, may that be us. And by God's grace, may we give thanks today that we serve a God for whom nothing is impossible. He brought Jesus into this world with an announcement that seemed unbelievable. He brought Jesus into this world, Christian, to save you, to deliver you, to be your king forever. If you've been blessed by this podcast and would like to support this ministry, you can find us at www.goodnewsinthedarkworld.com. Thank you for listening.